Let's all stand together today. We're in John chapter 15. If you need a Bible, go ahead and stretch that hand up high. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18 today. Now, before we jump into the verses this morning, um, I just want to tell you that the first piece of what Jesus says to his disciples kind of becomes the stopping point for us when we read because, I mean, it's just, it's heavy, you know? I mean, there's an intensity to it. And sometimes, you know, it just becomes the focal point and we miss, we miss everything that he is saying and the purpose and the point that he's leading his disciples to. And so today, um, we're going to draw four things from this uh, section of scripture and it's going to lead us to this key point that Jesus makes at the end. Well, the Bible says, if the world hates you, know that, who's the you? Us. The first service said that too. Who's the Us. Right, the church, followers of Christ. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. No one said amen to that today. You're like, Remember that the word, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. We're not really going to drill down on that, but I just want to say when rep... I just want to say, when revelation is given, there's a responsibility that comes with it, right? I mean, this is what he's saying here. He's saying the re revelation was given to them. I did things that no one else could do. And because of that, because the light did shine in an unmistakable way, they had a responsibility to respond. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, we're gonna pray. Uh, before we do, I just wanna say, you guys, I'm sure some of you have seen that there's, there seems to be kind of like pockets of revival popping out across the country. Um, if you've heard of Asbury and some of the other college campuses and, and um, you know, I get that question. It's like, man, pastor, like what's going on? Is it legit? Is it real? And uh, my, my view is this. This is what we pray for. We pray for a revival and this is what, what we want. And so um, I have a tendency to say, you know, to my wife, like, let's get on a plane. Let's go out. Let's check it out. We'll get refreshed anyway. It'll be awesome. Um, I have a super busy week, so we are sending some team members. Um, but you know, it's not like you can just, you work. You can't afford a plane ticket. And, and the thing is this, we don't have to go somewhere to ask God to do what he's doing there because he wants to do it here. Do you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? So, because God loves all his kids, right? So let's, let's just do this. Let's, let's ask God. Let's ask God to bring what he's doing across the country to us today and to bring it in the way that he wants you, all right? Heavenly Father, we love you and we want everything that you have for us. We don't, we don't wanna miss a thing. And the fact is this, God, sometimes we do because we're distracted. God, we're distracted. Sometimes we're dull of heart, dull of spirit. And so when you are speaking, we miss it because God, we've tuned out. And so Father, you have you have our whole hearts today. You have us. We pray that you would not just fill this place, this room, this building, but God, that you would fill us to overflowing. Bring the reviving to your people. God, bring the reviving that, that glorifies and magnifies your son. Bring the reviving that leads to sincere and genuine repentance 
And that not only is a fire that consumes the dross in our life, but God sweeps through this country because God, this country, America, needs revival. And Father, we, we pray today. We pray, speak to us. Speak to us and help us to be all in as we follow Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's have a, a seat today. You know, we live in a culture of disinformation. We live in a culture of disinformation. And, and I know that, I know you feel that way. I do know you feel that way because I talk to a lot of you and I, I know that's part of something that we kind of complain about, you know? It's just like, like for goodness sakes, man, can anybody tell the truth? There's just disinformation all over the place. Um, and, and so like that is a talking point that I think could even get an, an amen, I don't want it, but an amen from the people of God. I'll let you know later because I want it later, but save it up. But, but I think, you know, what concerns me even more is that people are willing to be disinformed. Like that's the thing that gets me. It's like, man, not only is disinformation out there, but people, people know it and they willingly take it in. And, and even worse than, than that, people are willing to be gaslighted. I, I don't know if you know what the word gaslight means. It's a real popular term that's been circulating around for um, a couple of, of years now. Um, and you may not, you may not know uh, the history of this term. And so being the person that I am, you know, I have to like research this stuff. And I want to tell you today that the term gaslighting comes from a, 19, a movie made in 1944. And can you guess what the name of the movie was? Gaslight, oh my gosh, you guys are on it today. Like, and in the movie, this is what happens. There's an abusive husband that brightens and dims gas-powered lights in the room and then insists that his wife is hallucinating, causing her to doubt her sanity, right? So, so, so he's, he's controlling the levers and he's increasing the lights and decreasing the lights. And his wife's like, man, what's going on with the lights? This is just really weird. And he's like, babe, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And so she starts to question her own sanity. It's manipulation created through deliberate confusion. It's manipulation. And this is a whole other topic because people do this. People do this all the time. But I just want to step back for a minute and, and say to you, the world's system gaslights all the time. Like the world system, this is, this is what the world does. The world system untethers people from the truth, both Christian and non-Christian, untethers Christians, you know, to the point where you start to think, well, wait a minute, is, is this really true? You hear all of this stuff, the levers are being pulled and you start to question, but it's not just that, it's just the the ordinary run-of-the-mill person as well, who's just trying to live their life by common sense. And, and, you know, the world is just so crazy and so chaotic and there's levers that are being pulled where you start to think, man, you know what, I, I've always believed this and I thought that this was true and it seems common sense to me, but common sense isn't so common anymore. And so, you, you know, you, you become untethered from truth and then the world gets in and offers their truth, which is really a lie, offers their peace, which really brings war, offers their form of satisfaction, which only leaves you empty sets out and supplies this idea of hope that only brings despair, offers you exhilaration and experience that only leaves you addicted. It leaves your life in ruins. And I want to say to you today, this is why you need to cling to the person of Christ. This is why you need Jesus. Because Jesus will never gaslight you. Jesus will never manipulate you. Jesus will never lie to you. Jesus isn't behind the scenes pulling levers to get you into something that's not really what you thought it was in the first place. And some people think that about Christianity. And I think this is one of those sections of scripture, man, that, that okay, hey, it's not easy to digest. It's not easy to swallow. But man, I love it when he tells it like it is. I just love it when he tells it like it is. You know, it's, Side note, this is why I love people from New York and New Jersey. We got any, any of you folk here today? Wow, all right, okay, four or five. Four or five, we'll have to work on that region. I'm not sure why they're underrepresented today. But the thing with New Yorkers and people from New Jersey is, is this, like you always know where you stand. You might not like what they have to say, but you, they don't leave you guessing, you know? 
And, and Jesus doesn't want his disciples to get blindsided. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard. And so what does he do? He tells them some hard truth. He tells them some hard truth to prepare them for what's coming. And, you know, like this became a bigger more clearer picture after he was crucified, but then also to help them understand that even in the midst of opposition from the world, there's purpose. You know, when you follow Jesus, he sets you free from the manipul manipulative tactics of the world, drawing you into his kingdom to be a light for his glory and a witness of his love. And that's where I would say, can you say amen to that? Amen, amen. amen. So this is why I, I think, you know, and there's a theologian who said this, I think that it's true, two of the most important words that Jesus ever said were follow me. They were follow me. They're powerful words, they're profound words, they're strong words. Those words imply divergence. And so when he invited his disciples to follow him, he was inviting them to a separation. He was inviting them to a departure. I mean by that he was calling them out of something into something else. That's what, that's what follow me means. Yes, it means that they were going to be his apprentice. Yes, it means that they were going to do all that the rabbi did. Yes, it means that they were going to follow the pattern of his life to the granular detail level. But it all began with them making a choice. That required a choice. They had to, at some point, make the conclusion that they were going to step over the line and they were going to give their lives wholly, not just a part, not just a piece, not just a percentage, not just a category, but they were going to give their lives wholly to the person of Christ. Now, some of you, most of you today have made that decision, right? Right? Some of, for some of you, it was like, it was calamity, it was calamity, it was turbulence, it was chaos in your life. You were just a stinking wreck. I mean, that's the truth. Your life, was, your life was a mess. And so, you know, being in that place, you hit rock bottom, you were humbled, someone had been ministering to you, and so you, you took a, a step of faith. I don't wanna project my experience on your experience, but a lot of you were like me, whatever it was, alcohol, drugs, chaos, doesn't matter. You know, you get the picture, but there was a point in time that was just absolutely clear beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like everything converged to this moment and there was a radical transformation in the midst of radical chaos. For some of us, it was a process. In fact, I would say to you today, probably for most of us, it was a process. It was a process of making small Many decisions, many, M-I-N-I, -I, small, small decisions over the course of time. Like you were just disinterested in Christianity. And then, you know, someone moved next to you and she was a Christian. And so, you know, you're going about your daily life and, and you know, you're watching this person live their life and something hits you. You know, you're like, well, you know what, that's interesting. Their life seems to be just a little bit different there seems to be something unique about the way that they live. And, you know, there were things that kind of drew you to make a mini decision, a small decision to have a conversation. You know, you're, you're out in the front yard. Um, you decided this time not to just drive into your garage and close the door and not talk to your neighbors, which is what everybody does in Las Vegas, right? I mean, no one talks to anybody. But, you know, on this particular day, you're like, hey, I just, I, I just, I have a question to ask. And so you're out in the front yard and, and you make a, a small decision to ask a question. Well, that question leads to a conversation and it gets more intriguing for you. And so you're like, man, that's really interesting. It sits on you. It starts to like ruminate. You're ruminating on it. And then, you know, um, your neighbor, she comes and she says, hey, you know, I know that you've got little kids. We have this Easter egg hunt that's happening at our church. And we'd, we'd love for you to come because, listen, you know, she's a missional living type of Christian. And she's thinking, man, I know what my church is up to. I know what my church is up to. My church is creating bridge events for the lost to be exposed to the gospel of Christ and the church in a way where they might feel comfortable. Like she gets it, right? Some of you are like, Pastor, you know, don't you know the history 
I'm not making fun of you today if this is you, okay? <laughs> but, but don't you know the history? Like, what's up with the bunnies and the eggs and, and, and all of that? Like, you know, I mean, could anything be more like almost heresy in the church? And I'm, and I'm like, look, I get it. I hear you, but get over it. No, I'm not, I don't think that. I'm just kidding. I think, I think, listen, this is what we're trying to do, and I get it. You may not agree, and you know, you got your convictions, but we're trying to take something that the culture engages in. You guys know we will have thousands of people here on the day of the egg hunt that are predominantly unchurched, like predominantly unchurched, the vast majority of those people. And you know what we're willing to do? We're willing to leverage all of that stuff, like, like eggs and candy, plus I get candy like when people bring it in, which is a nice... I shouldn't have told you that. But anyway, <laughs> we're willing to leverage that because it can be a bridge to bring somebody to the gospel. Anyway, back to our story. The person comes and, you know, they're on the property with their kids and like, man, these Christians, they're not as, they're not as, they're not as wacky as I thought that they were. You know, they're not as crazy as, as I thought that they were. And so there they are and they're getting exposed to the community of God's people. And then, then they make another decision. They make another decision and say, you know, I think I'll come to a service on Sunday. I think I'll come to a service on Sunday. And I'm not saying everything boils down to one service because we don't localize the preaching of the gospel to Sunday mornings. Of course, we know that. But sometimes that's the way it works. And so here they are. They're sitting in here and they're making another big decision for them just to be exposed to the people of God in a, in a church setting. And it's in that place as their heart has been incrementally opened a little bit uh, more over the course of time where the truth of God can penetrate and transform a person's life, right? Right, you know what I'm talking about? And then they say, as the invitation is given, they, they stand up and say, Pastor, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Man, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I think this sincerely is the vast majority of people. Let me just say to you today, many decisions, M-I-N-I, many decisions are good, but they have to lead to the decision. You can't just be on like this journey of many decisions for your whole life. Because if you get through your life making many decisions and never get to the decision, you'll stand before God and he'll be like, you know what? I never knew you. I never knew you. It's good to be present in church, but you have to make that decision once and for all to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said it like this, don't think I came to bring peace but a sword. Don't think that I came to bring peace but a sword. You say, well, wait a minute, man. He's, a, he's the prince of peace. What are you talking about? Well, he did come to bring peace with God. And he did come to bring you a sense of peace, peace within yourself. And he did come to enable you to have peace with other people, but he also came to bring a sword, and that sword draws a line in the sand, a line in the sand, and at some point, you have to step over that line, and you have to choose to be a follower of, follower of Christ. Look, all of the I am statements were exclusive. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the true vine. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The whole thing is set up in such a way where he can sincerely say to you today, you are either for me or you are against me. And so you at some point have to step over that line and choose to follow. As you do, what you'll discover, what you'll discover is everything. Following Jesus is all upside with no downside. Following Jesus, I'm just scanning today to see the reactions. Following Jesus is all upside and no downside. Like even in what may feel is a downside is in fact an upside. When you choose to follow Christ, what you discover is that you've already been chosen You've already been chosen. You say, man, pastor, that doesn't make sense to me. How does that work? Because we have two things that seem almost like they're in tension with each other. You've got the free will, you know, quote unquote, the free will, the responsibility of human beings to make a decision to choose. And then you have the choosing of God that happens from before the foundation of the world. You're like, you're going to do that in 21 minutes? No, I don't think so. But you say, how, how do you sort that out? And I say, man, I'm going to go as far as I can in my thinking. But the truth is this. It's not on me to sort out the beautiful mysteries of God. 
It's, not all, it's, it's on me to enjoy it, to enjoy what he's done. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, you know, if we're a Christian, when you take your last breath here on this earth and get to heaven, you will, as it were, there's no Bible verse for this, but you will, as it were, see a gate, and over the gate it will say, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. You come just as you are. You come, you come with your sin, you come with your dysfunction, you come with your chaos. It doesn't matter how dark it is, it doesn't matter how deep it is, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much has been built up over the course of time. Some of you have a little file of sin, some of you have the yellow pages. <laughs> and for you young people, talk to me after the service and I'll tell you what the yellow pages are. <laughs> All right? Somebody sent me a text last week um, and it was a picture of the yellow pages. And, you know, I guess they were scanning. I don't even know that, that there are yellow pages anymore, but they were scanning the yellow pages looking under churches. And so, you know, how it breaks it up into denominations. It said Calvary Chapel. And the first one was Awake in Las Vegas. And, and he's like, Pastor, we're still at Calvary Chapel. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we're still at Calvary Chapel. But the bigger question is this. Why are you looking at the yellow pages? You know, I mean, <laughs> it just didn't make sense. Anyway, all I'm saying is this, you can come just as you are. Like you may be really screwed up this morning and you, you know, you're in church and your life is a mess and you're like, man, I don't know, pastor. I don't know. I don't know if God can do it. I'll tell you right now, he can do it. He can do it. So you see on one side, whosoever will may come. You go through the other side and look back and it says chosen from before the foundation of the world. He said this to his disciples. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so can I remind you today from what we said last week, you are chosen, you are chosen to Christ, right? He's called you to himself. He has called you out of the world to himself and now you are in him. Remember we talked about what some of those things are now that we're in Christ. You're redeemed, you're a lot, you can just say amen if you like these things. You're redeemed, you're alive to God, you're approved, you're justified, you're sanctified, you're sealed by the Spirit. One day you will be glorified. You're also chosen out of this world. Like he took his hand in the person of his son, stuck it into the swirling chaos and mess of this world, this toxic dump that, that we live in. And in the person of his son, what he's done is he has yanked you out of that. He's pulled you out of that. He's pulled you out of the world. Let me tell you how the contrast goes in scripture. And if anything's, any of these apply to you, you be vocal about it today. You were once darkness, now you're light. You were once darkness, now you're light. You were once a child of disobedience, now you're a child of God. You were lost, but now you're found. Mm -hmm. You were condemned, but now you've been forgiven. You were on your way to hell, and now you're on your way to heaven. You were empty, you were empty, but now you've been filled with the Spirit of God. Peter says it like this, he says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, that's just so good. Hey, this is my second time around on this, and I'm still excited about it. I'm saying today, today to you, this is different. Like this whole scene right here, this whole scene, this whole gathering, we are a different people. We're a unique people. You know, maybe you've thought about this question, what was humanity supposed to really be like? Like what was God's original intention? When God started the whole thing, what did he expect humanity to look like? And the answer is this, it's the church. It's the church. The ecclesia, the called out of God. 
We are to be a picture of what God originally intended. We are to be an expression of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been renewed as image bearers. Now listen, there's a piece of this that I like and there's a piece that I think needs to be more fully explained. We are image bearers now, but we're not just going back to the image bearing intention of God before the fall. We are a fulfillment of that, but we are so much more because we're indwelt by the spirit of God and we're being shaped in the image of Jesus. Christ. So our capacity to image bear is even that much more. It's even that much more. How are we doing, church? I just let me just step back for a second and say, how are we doing with that? All right. It's a good answer. That's a good answer. You know, um, because because we're supposed to be this bright, shining light in a very dark world. We're supposed to be this bright, shining light in a very dark world. And you know, um, we get to shine our light in the city of Las Vegas. They're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just with pastors this last week from all over the country, and, and you know, I, I get the, 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 the question comes up, right? Well, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And I'm like, well, I'm from Las Vegas. And um, these were young pastors, so I didn't get what I normally get from pastors. Normally, I get something like, man, how'd you screw up so bad that God put you in Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> right? That, and as, like, if people don't say it like that, you can tell that they mean it. You know, they're like, oh, hey, man, you're from, you're from Atlanta. You're from Dallas. You're from Boston. You're from, you're from L.A. You're from, you're from Vegas. You're from Sin, you're from Sin City. And, and I, ju- I just wanna say, you know, we've got such a privilege to bear the light of Christ in the city of Las Vegas. We have a, a great privilege. <clears throat> like, let me just turn this around and say, God chose us, God blessed us. Hey, by the way, we have Spanish church with us this morning and we're blessed to have them, okay? Had to say it before, I forgot to say it. Um, we're chosen, we're privileged, but we also bear a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility because this city, this city needs the light of the gospel. And in this city, there needs to be a solid, clear contrast so people can be drawn to Jesus. And I think, I think that that's what the church is. You know, you're, you're out there, you're in it. You come to the gathering on Sunday morning and what happens, man, there's just this sense of refreshment. You're renewed, you're lifted up, you're filled up to go out and to be the witness that God has called you to be. Now listen, when you go out to be that witness, let me tell you, based on the words of Christ, the reaction's gonna be mixed. The reaction's gonna be mixed. Some are going to believe and some are going to have a visceral reaction to your faith. Let me, let me read verse 20 again, the second half of it, and then I wanna tell you what a modern theologian, D.A. Carson, said about it. He put it in his own words. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. He said, you know, He said this could also be read like this. If they persecuted me, and many of them did, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, and some of them did, they will also obey yours. In other words, he's saying to his disciples, I want to let you guys know the plan is for you not to fit in. I want to let you guys know that the plan is for you not to fit in. Like you have been chosen out of this world and you're not of this world anymore. You're not of this world anymore. Like you're flown in a different stream. I pulled you out of that chaos and the gaslighting and the manipulation and the, and the confusion that was consuming your life so that you could be a different people. You're not of the world anymore. You say, well, pastor, then what world are we of? And I say to you, heaven's world, heaven's world. Like this is, remember, we're encountering Jesus. What did God do through the incarnation of his son? He built a pipeline of heaven to earth. He brings the fullness of heaven through his son 
into the lives of those who believe in him. In other words, you see heaven as a believer come through your life in the way that you live, in the choices you make, in the integrity that you have, in the, in the decisions where you're expressing what you're for and what you're not for. And I'm telling you, when you do that out in the world, inevitably, there's gonna be a loss of respect from some people. The perception that people have had of you is going to change. You may run into a situation where you're no longer even accepted, maybe by your family members, maybe by your friends. It can be to the extent that people mock you and ridicule you and marginalize you for your faith. And you know what, sometimes, man, those are downright demonic attacks. Sometimes, man, it is, it is just evident that, that the devil or one of his minions is standing right before you. But more often than not, that reaction that people have that's sometimes visceral, that, that reaction that is in opposition to your faith is, is a reaction that's happening because they're convicted of their sin. Yes. Because something's happening in their hearts. Because God is, in fact, actually at work. You know, when you're living your life in such a way that there, that there is that reaction, I want to tell you that it's your light that is shining, that is making a difference in someone's life. That's the reality. And that's what happened with me. You know, my roommate was a born-again Christian. I ridiculed him. I marginalized him. I mocked him. I tore him up one side and down the other. And the reason I did that was because he was getting under my skin. And it wasn't him who was getting under my skin. It was the Holy Spirit that was getting under my skin. And the Holy Spirit wasn't just getting under my skin. He was getting to my heart. He was getting to my heart. If the way you follow Jesus doesn't make any unbelievers easy, let me say that again. If the way that you follow Jesus doesn't make any unbelievers uneasy, you have to question the way that you're following him. Right? Your boss comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I need you to uh, shape the truth a little bit to get the sale. And you're like, hey, listen, I've, I've like planted my flag. I've planted my flag. I've made a decision. I'm following Jesus. I can't lie to get the sale anymore. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to drop on the list of priority. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to have the upward mobility. You say to the boys who are like, man, let's go clubbing. You know, it's going to be a killer night. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. You say, hey, listen, fellas, I can't do that anymore because I love my wife. I love my wife. I, and I just got to tell you, you know, I'm following Jesus now. He has my whole heart. And because he has my whole heart, my wife has my whole heart. I'm fully devoted to her. I'm devoted in my heart and I've devoted my eyes. And so, fellas, you know what? I hope you understand, but I'm going to take a pass tonight. You know, it happens when, you know, you're on social media and you say to the bully, stop pushing this person around, right? Because social media can be in a place where you can just do whatever you want with impunity. There's no consequence. There's no action that happens as a reaction in the sense of, you know, just being able to say whatever you want to say. It's a place where you can be absolutely without any courage whatsoever and drop bombs on people, but as a Christian, you know your life has changed and you see people differently. And so in that moment, you say, hey, you know what? I think that we need to stop pushing this person around on social media. You know the reaction that you're going to get. You're hanging out with a crew of people. You know, it's the sisters in the Lord. And, and you know, there's a conversation that starts happening that's just, you know, it's just gossip. It's gossip. And so, so because this, these decisions happen in the church too, so you're like, you know, the Spirit of God is like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And so you're like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to say anything. And God, I'm not going to contribute to this nonsense. And you're right, it's wrong. And the Spirit's like, no, your silence is being interpreted as approval, right? Your silence, your unwillingness to say anything while everyone's nodding their heads, they're just assuming that you agree. And so, no, you actually have to say something in love. You need to st stop this train from rolling because the words are not edifying. The words are not building up. And so you know what? You muster up the courage, right, to, to say. And, you know, your, your hands are sweating. Your heart is beating. You're shaking. And you're like, hey, hey, girls, you know what? I love you. I love you all. I just have to say that the Spirit of God is really speaking to my heart right now. And I don't think that the way that we're talking about this person is right, is right, 
right? I mean, and, and even in that sometimes, even in that sometimes, people may not like it. But pushback means that the name of Jesus is having an impact through your life. That's what it means. Now, I know, like, I know there, I know there are annoying Christians out there. Do we have any here today? Raise your hand. No, I'm just. <laughs> but I know there's annoying Christians out there. Twofold Todd, when I was going to Bible college, was an annoying Christian. All right. And, and Twofold Todd, he was called Twofold Todd because every time he had a question, he's like, my question is twofold today, professor. But Twofold, Twofold, I don't know why I'm telling you the story, okay? This didn't happen at the first service. So. So Twofold Todd worked at an ice skating rink in Twin Peaks. It was, Todd, I hope you're not listening today, all right, bro? <laughs> you're like, Pastor, this is gossip. This is wrong. Okay, well, I'm down the road, so I have to go. Anyway, anyway, we're using Todd's life as an illustration. <laughs> I've got myself in a whole heap of trouble right here. But when he would witness, when he would witness what he would do is he'd be passing out ice skates to people, and he would be belligerent with the name of Jesus, and belligerent with his witness is like, dude, you're not witnessing. You're just looking to cause calamity. You know, you're just leveraging Jesus to get people to respond in a super provocative way so you can say that you're just this great evangelist. And I know that, I know that that's not us. But the reality is this, even when in the simplicity of life you're living for Christ, there are going to be times where you suffer for his namesake. And I just want to encourage you, in those times, it's proof that God is bringing his kingdom to the hearts of men and women. You say, well, pastor, is there a really good example of this? And I say to you, yes, there is. It's the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Christ. How did Jesus bring his kingdom to this earth? He brought it through his own suffering. He brought it through his own suffering. It was some of those that were even reviling him when he was hanging on the cross. There were two thieves that were mocking and blaspheming and making fun of him. And you know, the one was like, man, many decisions, small decisions, saying these things, and then all of a sudden the light begins to shine on his heart, and he turns completely because that's what God does. He loves those who are even in opposition. You know, Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the Bible says this, just a little bit of context here. The disciples have been sharing the gospel. They've been preaching. They got in trouble for it. They were taken by the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body of the Jewish people at the time. The Sanhedrin's like, uh, fellas, listen, shut your mouth. We're not doing this. We're not playing this game anymore. It's just a bunch of heresy, so shut up. And Peter's like, I'll say it in a family way today. Peter's like, you know what? It is better for us to obey God than to obey man. Like, you can take your little attitude. <laughs> Never mind. You know what I'm saying. Peter's like, we're just going to obey God. And so they beat the disciples. They beat them. And then the Bible says this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Right? There was this sense like, Lord, you know, thank you. Thank you. Being identified with Jesus isn't just, yeah, I am redeemed and I am justified and I am going to be sanctified or I'm in the process of sanctification. I will be glorified. It is also, you know what, Lord, we're willing to suffer. There, there, there is opposition. There's difficulty that's going to come. But when it does, you know, thank you that I have the privilege of being identified with you. And not only that, but I think that they understood that there was purpose in their suffering. Like they were able to walk away and know that the Spirit of God was getting to those hearts even by the negative response, which leads me to my final point here. The purpose of all of this, like why does Jesus lay this out? Yeah, he doesn't want his disciples to get blindsided. Yes, he wants them to be prepared, but he wants them to understand that in all of this, the purpose is to witness. The purpose is to witness. You know, the church, when we have opposition, and you guys know, you may not like this today, and you can debate with me in the lobby after the service, but we live in a post-Christian era. We live in a post-Christian era. I hate to say it, it's hard to say. There's pockets of Christianity around our country, but the fact is, things have changed really rapidly. And with that comes an opposition, sometimes an ignorance, um, but also an opposition to your faith. When that comes, remember, just because we may suffer some pushback and opposition doesn't mean that we are anti-cultural. 
When we suffer the opposition, we don't just resort to being for ourselves and against everybody else. When we suffer opposition, you know, we resist the tendency to isolate ourselves because, you know, sometimes that's what people, that's what people say. They're like, you know what, this world, it really is just miserable. And pastor, how about, like, we go get an island, man, in the South Pacific and, and all the Christians can come and we can populate an island. I'm like, dude, have you hung out with Christians for any length of time? Like, <laughs> like no, thank you. No, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. And you know what? Heaven's only going to be heaven because that old nature is going to be gone. I mean, if that wasn't the case, I love you guys, but I don't want to spend eternity with you, you know? <laughs> God, God, heal us first. Some of us, some of us, and some of you are really going to hate this, all right? And you'll want to email me later, for sure. And like I said to the first service, um, just if you have an issue with this, uh, jimdavis at awakenlv.org. <laughs> And since the Spanish church is here, uh, Fernando Serrano at awakenlv.org, pastor. But you know, I got friends who are like, man, I'm out, dude. I'm out. I'm out. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're, they're like, I'm, I'm building a compound. You know, it's crazy. Uh, it's all falling apart. And so I bought some property. I'm building a compound. I've got a bunker. It's, I'm stocking it up. And I'm, I'm ready just to ride out the storm. I, and, and I'm like, well, who are you inviting? And I'm like, well, I just got space for me and my family. I'm like, well, isn't that convenient? I'm like, if you, so you're telling me that when things get worse, when things will be at their worst, you're gonna take the light of the spirit of God living in your life and you're gonna bury it under a bushel in Idaho or Montana? Or, are, you, are you kidding me? Like what part of go into all the world and make, make disciples of all nations don't you get? Don't you get? And they're like, well, pastor, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have the internet. I'm like, dude, you're gonna be off the grid. And according to you, there's gonna be EMPs that are gonna blow the satellites out of the sky anyway. Don't tell me that you're gonna use technology. That's just not even the case. Anyway, send those emails to my brothers. My only point... <laughs> My only point is this, Paul says, listen, we are in the world, but not of the world. Like we're in the world. Okay, listen, we get it. We're different. We're a special people. We're a roly, we're a roly priesthood, some of us. We are a holy priesthood. We're a holy priesthood. But man, God has called us to be scattered like salt in the community. You guys, I've said this to you before. Let me say it again. The greatest missions work that we do at Awaken Las Vegas is after our service, you guys going out into this community and being a light for Jesus Christ. No, you are, you are missionaries. You are missionaries. You're our missionaries. So, so, so remember, when hate comes your way, hate is a one-way street. All right, it may come to you, it cannot come from you. It may come to you, it cannot come from you. If the church's response to the world is hatred, who's gonna be drawn to the gospel? And this is the purpose that Jesus says. He's like, listen, it is gonna be difficult. It's gonna be hard. The reaction for some is gonna be visceral. But the strength, the spirit is going to strengthen you to be a witness. And church, people are watching your witness. People are watching your witness. When you and I do go through suffering, what we choose to do is we turn upward to God and outward towards others. We're a witness. Remember, a witness is more than just stating facts about Jesus. It is that, but it's about radiating the king and his kingdom through your life. That's what being a witness is. I'm not saying that you just go pass out tracts and now all of a sudden you're a witness. That is one way to do it, and you do do it with your words, but it is the way that you choose to live your life. The fact is, we live in a pragmatic world. We live in a pragmatic world, and people who are watching your life are watching to see if your faith works. That's what they want to see. They want to see things that practically work. They've heard what you've said. Now they need to see the evidence. Let me say it like this. While we know our faith works because it's true, people need to see that our faith is true because it works. Do you understand that? Like from this side, we look back and we're like, man, I know why this works. I know why there's healing in my life. I know why there's been transformation. It's because the truth has set me free. 
Well, the unbelieving person doesn't necessarily believe that, and getting to the truth is not their highest regard because we live in a post-truth culture. What they're looking for is the pragmatic resolution. They want to see that your faith works. And as they see that your faith works, they'll be drawn to the truth. So they're looking at you. They're your neighbors. And they're like, okay, I know. He's got, he's, got a, he's got the bumper sticker. He's pumping SOS in the car on his way. Like, I get it. He's a Christian. He wears the T-shirt. But how's his marriage? How's his marriage? And so they're, they're watching, right? And let me just say this. A healthy, godly marriage isn't just to witness to those who are on the outside. It is a witness to your children because your children are watching. Like the children, they get, hey, we're opening the Bible. We're talking about what God said. Hey, we're Christians. You can't listen to that kind of music. Hey, we're going to church on Sunday. And all those decisions and the, the liturgy that you establish, the routines in your family that you establish to form the heart of your child is super important. But even more than that is then being able to look at mom and dad and, and, and to be able to say, hey, my mom and dad are perfect, but that's what a godly marriage looks like. Like that's what it means to follow Jesus. So people are asking the question, does, does the marriage work? And a culture where identity is a God that's worshiped. People are looking at our lives and they're asking the question, are they, really, are they really settled on who they are? Have they discovered that in a relationship with God? People are looking at our lives and, and they're saying, okay, I, I get it. Like they've said that they're believers, but are they really satisfied? Because what I see is just more and more stuff being poured into that soul and that soul never really being in a place where there seems to be some deep satisfaction. People are looking in there. They want to make good decisions for their own life. And they want to make wise decisions. And they want to make decisions that lead to health. And so they look at the life of the Christian. And they, they, they ask themselves, do I see a pattern of good decisions that really do lead to a healthy life? People are watching our lives as, as adversity hits us. You know, you've got a friend and, or, or maybe it's a, a parent that has a kid that's on your kid's softball team or baseball team or you know, maybe on uh, the club volleyball team and you know you get hit with some disease or some adversity or you're stricken with cancer and they're watching your life and they're seeing how you respond and how you've anchored your faith to Jesus Christ and you believe that nothing that has come into your life hasn't been first filtered through your father's hands. And I'm telling you, it's that right there. It's that that causes the unbelieving person to say, there's something more to this I want to investigate. I just want to say to you today in closing, when your faith is working for you, when your faith is working for you, it will start working in the hearts of those around you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for your word today and your just what you've spoken to our hearts. We pray today, God, for those in this room who just need to make a decision to follow you, that this would be the moment that that decision is made once and for all. Today, as our eyes are closed, as our heads are bowed, you know, maybe today, um, here you are in church, maybe a place you, you never thought that you would be, and there has just been calamity and d difficulty in your life and you're searching for a solution. You're searching for an answer. You're hoping that there's someone who's able to rescue. And I wanna tell you that there is. His name is Jesus. He's here, he's present today to give to you the rescue that you need. He's here today to lift you up out of the pit that you've been living in. He's here today to break the shackles of sin in your life and to set you free and to give you a brand new beginning. And you know, you may feel today, man, just so unworthy and you look at your life and it's so full of sin and you, you just wonder, man, could God do that in my life? And the answer is yes. He can do that in your life. Today, you need to make a decision and you need to choose to follow Jesus. Maybe today for you, there have been a, a whole host of small decisions that you've been making. You've had people in your life who have been, who, who are Christians and who've been speaking to you. And you know, you've, you've made the decision of being more open to listening. 
You know, you've, you've made enough many decisions that you're present here today and, and it's good that you're, you're here and it's God who's been leading you in this process. But listen, he's been leading you so that you would once and for all step over that line that's been drawn in the sand and that you would believe in Jesus. Because the whole point of this process has been the love of God seeking to draw you to himself. In either case today, you need to choose to follow Christ. And so this morning, if this is you, I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer. It's a, it's a decision you're gonna make, a choice you're gonna make. And as I lead you in this prayer today, I wanna encourage you just to make this your prayer to God, pray with your whole heart. Maybe today, it's just on my heart right now, Maybe today as a Christian, you know, you've, you need to recommit your life. You've, you've been prodigal. You've been on the run. And so today you need to rededicate your life. This prayer is for you as well. And so in this moment of, of prayerful consideration, God's called you to make a choice. The revelation's been given. Now the responsibility to respond is set before you. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer today. You pray with me, you can pray this out loud. God, thank you for loving me. And thank you for speaking to me. And thank you for Jesus. Today I'm choosing to follow him, to leave behind my doubt and sin and to live for you. Forgive me, cleanse me, and fill me with your spirit. Today as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, if you followed in prayer, I'm so thankful for what God has done in your life. I'm gonna ask you right now, I wanna pray for you. Would you raise your hand if you followed in prayer today? Just stretch your hand as high as you can so I can see it. God bless you over here on my right. I see your hand here on the right, your hand in the back. I see your hand over here on my right. I see your hand on my right. Thank you. I see your hand in the center in the back. Thank you for raising your hand. I see your hands over here on my left. I see all your hands over here. Thank you, sir, for raising your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand over here on the right in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? I see your hand right here in the center in the back. Thank you. Thank you. I just, you know, you're a young person today. You've got your whole life before you. You will really have your whole life before you if you choose to make Jesus your Savior. And so if this is you today, stretch your hand up high. Let me, let me see who you are. Awesome. Thank you. I see your hand. It's good. It's good. And Father, we love you, God. I see your hand. Thank you. We love you, Father. We are thankful for these lives. Bless them, fill them, strengthen them, surprise them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.